Here today, gone. Today? The pace of change can be confusing. Then again, it can be inspiring. Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you build the self-confidence and decision-making skills it takes to thrive on change. Fight change with change. Go. Start by going to hbs.me slash go. That's hbs.me slash go. Blog Talk Radio. Research? 
Sure. Uh, so that was a um, collaboration we, uh, we established between Lancaster University, the Division of Health Research at Lancaster University, and the Leo Foundation uh, with Ferdinando Squitieri and Simone Migliore, who are the, the Italian reference point for research on Huntington's. And it was um, an online survey we ran with people with pre-symptomatic Huntington's disease aimed at exploring whether they had issues with recognizing emotions from uh, facial cues, so from, uh, from facial stimuli, so uh, recognizing facial expressions, uh, expressing emotions, mm -hmm. which is one of the characteristic symptoms of Huntington's from a cognitive point of view. We know that we, in symptomatic Huntington's disease, people with symptomatic Huntington's disease have uh, often issues recognizing emotions when it's symptomatic again, but it's rather uh, doubtful at the moment. It's still unsure whether uh, people with pre-symptomatic Huntington's can recognize it uh, or have issues such as those. And there is very little about whether uh, there are issues related to regulation of emotion, so um, like managing one's emotional state. And what I wanted to, to, to investigate with that study was whether these issues are actually seen in people with pre-symptomatic Huntington's. And that's, uh, that's a problem at the moment because unlike other conditions such as Parkinson's or uh, motor neuron disease or Alzheimer's, you, in Huntington's we know that we have the, the, the gene, the gene mutation, we have a genetic test, we have people who may be gene positive but still haven't gotten uh, diagnosis. And the diagnosis currently is based mainly on motor symptoms. So unless a patient is showing motor symptoms, he, she won't get a full diagnosis of Huntington's, although they may have uh, the mutated gene. What we do know, though, is that cognitive symptoms may begin, may begin much earlier than motor symptoms. So you may find uh, people <clears throat> who are pre-symptomatic uh, from an official point of view, because they don't have a diagnosis of Huntington's yet, but they they show a cognitive impairment already, and that's the reason the, the rationale for for running studies like this, because these people might have issues with emotions, and we might not know that because we consider them pre-symptomatic uh, from an official medical point of view, because they haven't shown any motor symptoms yet, but. That doesn't mean that they're not experiencing difficulties from a psychological and cognitive point of view. Right, and this is so this is so important because we we've talked about this as a community for so long that um, our loved ones are are unable to get diagnosed or without the you know motor manifest. And when you're talking about cognitive impairment and you're talking about psychiatric psychiatric behaviors, um, it it makes it very difficult for our loved ones to be able to hold a job and to work and to do this. And so without, um, you know, ex this kind of research is so important because it helps us understand, obviously, what's going on with our loved ones when they're not able to work and when they're not able to hold some of the relationships that they used to um, in uh, previous to that. So most people think motor beginning. So this kind of study is very important. Um, and it also helps our Absolutely. loved ones uh, with navigating life. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and uh, and this is one of the reasons why I believe that it's also important to have um, diverse uh, 
kind of uh, approach to research, uh, both quantitative, like this study we, we just talked about, but also qualitative, so interviewing people with Huntington and uh, trying to understand their perspectives about their everyday life with the disease, the, the, the way the symptoms affect them, the way the, 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 the disease itself, the idea of having Huntington affects them. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I run another study. These are all studies that, that, that I ran for, for my PhD. I run another study was, which was based more on the communication of people with Huntington's and it was qualitative. And mm -hmm. those kind of studies are very important as well because um, we cannot expect to understand how to take care of people with Huntington's unless we understand how it feels like to have Huntington's. And the best way to understand it is actually asking people with Huntington's how they're feeling. Um, so it's bridging the, the, the gap, the divide between the clinician point of view, which is important, of course, from a psychological or a medical perspective for many reasons, but it's not the, the only kind of point of view we, we must adopt. Mm -hmm and trying to, mm -hmm. to help and improve the quality of life of people with Huntington's. Yeah, and that's so important, like, to talk to people, like you were saying, to talk to people with Huntington's. We, we were at a meeting um, uh, a couple months ago, and a whole bunch of caregivers, we were all sitting around after the meeting, and we were talking, and one of our dear friends was with us that had, that has Huntington's, and, and we were like, we were saying, well, how does she feel, you know, how do they feel about this? And she finally broke into the conversation. She said, you guys want to ask me how I feel? And I went, yeah. right, we should be asking you because why are we questioning this when you're right here and you can yeah. tell us how you feel? Yeah. Yes, so, that, that, um, that's exactly the absolutely. problem. Very, very often we forget that uh, this is, first of all, I can, being a condition that affects people is from people that we have to start and not from the condition. And... Uh, I remember, for example, when I, I did attend uh, the HSG in uh, 2016, it was in Denver, in Colorado, and mm -hmm. uh, I brought the poster for that study that I mentioned just uh, a minute ago, the one for about communication. And, of course, the HSG is a very diverse environment. You have very different kinds of research from genomics to, to psychiatric psychiatry to, um, to um, clinical medicine in general, and then psychology. And most of the attention I got for that kind of study, not surprisingly, was from people from the community rather than other researchers, because the vast majority of the researchers were physicians, which is normal for, for an event like HSG. But right. the, the people who showed most interest were the people were the, were the caregivers and the people with Huntington's because they said, well, you know, this is actually something that what you're writing here is exactly what I what I feel most of the time. What you what these people reported to you, it's exact is it's exactly what I feel, and I wish that I was asked more often what these things mm -hmm. mean to me because it's not just a matter of, uh, of making a list of symptoms or reporting what uh, is impact, uh, having an impact on, on your daily life from, um, from a practical perspective. It's also about the meaning that these things have for, the, for, for people with Huntington's. Yeah, no, absolutely. And showing them the respect of giving them a voice. I, I know that, um, you know, being in the, doing what I do for a living and, I find myself, I'll listen to doctors and researchers talk all the time about what they think. And I would talk, come back and talk to my husband 
classroom, he would say, you know, things like, I, you know, I'm not stupid. I can be asked these questions. And sometimes I felt bad that we were all communicating and he was sitting right there. Um, so I think these kind of studies are fantastic because our loved ones living with HD, they, they know how they feel and, um, and they tell the story of, of, of what it's like navigating through HD. So, so that's fantastic that I, to hear that there's studies like this going on and getting them involved. And if you ever need our support with help bringing people in or taking surveys or anything, I know that our community would love to help out with that. So anything you need, let us oh, know. I'll bear that in mind. But, yeah, yeah. It, it, eventually, ultimately, we have all to remember that it takes someone with HD to understand uh, how it feels to have HD. Uh, yep. And yep. that's where we should all start from. Yep, absolutely. So um, can you tell us about, so I know we touched on some of your other research. Is there anything else going on right now that you're working on with HD? Yes, well. Uh, These seem like uh, two big studies. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so there is another study I've run that was pretty much the, um, the counterpart with symptomatic uh, people with symptomatic HD of the one that we talked about, about emotional regulation recognition. And at the moment, um, but that was a part of my PhD again. Uh, and at the moment, I'm, I'm working with, as you mentioned, with, um, with a, this group um, in collaboration with the British, the British Psychological Society to draw guidelines for, for psychological interventions with people with motor neurodegenerative disorders. And these include, of course, HD, but also Parkinson's, um, multiple sclerosis, and, and motor neuron disease, which um, is more commonly, is what you more commonly refer to as LAS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis in the US. Lamentine is a very, uh, it, it, it's a British term for it. Mostly, mm -hmm. and I think that this is also very important because there is very little at the moment about uh, how to approach these diseases from a psychological standpoint. We've made enormous uh, progress with uh, the, the, the medical research, and of course that's absolutely uh, of paramount importance. But we also need to start having a clear framework on how to approach um, treatment for these conditions from a, a psychological mm -hmm. perspective. And uh, what we're working on at the moment is trying to figure out from the literature what has been done so far and what the main results of these, uh, these studies are and what, where we can move from there. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. And so recently you received, I said in the introduction, the Peter Eck Scholarship for HSG a couple, at least two years. Um, so how do you, what do you think about annual HSG? And congratulations on the scholarship. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Well, the HSG is absolutely great um, at, at organizing these, these annual meetings. And I really enjoyed the meeting in Houston. I, I believe these meetings are extremely important, both from the, the, the empirical uh, perspective, so to, to share the research, but also from the networking perspective, so for, for knowing people, uh, getting to, to, to getting to, to know more researchers in your field, and also different opinions and perspectives for for your own research. And I believe that uh, it's, a, it's essential that we go on um, doing this and also uh, giving 
early career researchers like me and many others that have the, the opportunity to attend because these um, these kind of meetings can be very expensive to attend. So I was uh, fortunate enough to, to win the scholarship uh, last year, but normally I would have never been able to afford uh, to attend um, a conference in Houston coming from the UK. And the HST is doing a great sure. job in this sense because uh, they, 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 they have a lot of funding opportunities, but um, unfortunately funding is never enough for the loads of the very talented researchers we have out there uh, that are in, their, yeah. in an early stage of their career and we would all deserve the, the chance to attend an event such as the, HS, the HSG annual meeting. Yeah, you know, I think it was so interesting. I went and I sat through. I, I rarely have time to sit through too many sessions, but I, I when I'm at HSG every year, but I this year I actually did sit through some of the CME and me sessions because um, we're working on this CME um, HD at home uh, project with right. Mary Edmondson and, and some of the others. Uh, Help for HD International is one of the organizations working on that project and uh, with them. So I did go and sit through those sessions and I just thought wow like this is such researchers should be sitting in here because what these CME even though they're, they're teaching right physicians um, yes. they're, they're talking so much about daily life navigating daily life in HD they talked about advanced stages you know pre-symptomatic padromal they, they sat and touched on all these things and from a research perspective, I'm not a researcher, but I would imagine that would be very helpful in advancing research, sitting through those sessions. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The, the, those, uh, I, I, I attended one of those in, um, in Denver because, again, uh, there was mm -hmm. another funding opportunity from the HSG. Um, and they, 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 they were able to give me a scholarship to attend the CM4 um, uh, HD and it was it was really um, mind blowing at times how important these things can be also from a research perspective perspective and not just a clinical mm -hmm. perspective. Obviously, when it's mm -hmm. clinical research, the two worlds sometimes do blend in with each other. But it is important yeah. to to have both researchers and clinicians, and and also not just those, not just clinicians and researchers, but also caregivers, uh, patients mm -hmm. themselves might find it useful because we discuss things where that the, the practical ways to to work around issues that they might have not thought about yet and mm -hmm. uh, there's always yeah. something new to learn yeah i know and there, there's always like it's always at hsg it's always taught by the best you know you have martha nance and uh, vicky wheelock yeah. and you know um, mary edmondson you have like the best of the best that have been doing this for their yeah. whole careers and um, so it's always well, that's great the to power of HSG, isn't it? It's uh, yes, the, the opportunity absolutely. of having to you you're given to speak and interact with the best people in this field in yeah. the world. Um, that, yeah. That's why it is so important to to keep on doing uh, these annual meetings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to kind of start to, to, to wrap up the show a little bit, because I know you are in the UK and I know there's time difference. I don't want to keep you too long, but um, no. is there anything as the HD community can do to help research like this? Well, certainly uh, promoting the participation in research 
and uh, trying to maintain a positive attitude toward, uh, towards uh, studies, especially in psychology, because they're not so, um, not so frequent at the moment. I have to say, uh, when I started my PhD, I got surprised at how keen the DHD community is. I rarely found a community as keen mm -hmm. as the DHD one. Uh, as I said, that I've, I've had a chance to, to deal with other conditions in, in the past, but I, I've never met uh, such a keen community, such a close and uh, proactive community as the DHD one. So I think it, we are definitely on the right track for that. But there is always work to, to be done, obviously. There is always room for improvement and, um, and promoting uh, support uh, for early research, uh, early, early career researchers, as I mentioned, funding opportunities for uh, early career researchers to attend these meetings because that's the future in, in the end, uh, not just um, trying to, to get results that matter. That's obviously our final aim, but it's also teaching the new generation of researchers to 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 reach those objectives in the hopefully the near future. Obviously, yeah. our main aim is to to reach the point where we will we'll, we will not uh, feel the need for these meetings and for these uh, actions to be taken anymore because disease will be manageable. But until right. we reach that point, we have to, to do whatever we can to promote awareness, promote early career researchers, and move on from one generation to another. You know, not only yeah. to find a cure, that's one of the best, obviously one of the main, uh, main uh, targets, but also to make living with this disease uh, as feasible as possible and as comfortable as possible to improve ultimately quality of life for these people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, well, thank you so much for coming on, and I hope I get the chance to meet you at ACC Thank you for having year. me. I'll keep my fingers Hopefully, crossed. Yeah. And uh, do you have any <laughs> yep. Do you have any uh, final thoughts for us before we wrap up the show? Well, I'll just keep up the the good the, the good work and uh, spread awareness as much as you can. This is what we really need, I believe, because uh, people know. Uh, in the general public, if you, in the general public, if you talk about Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, people generally know what it is uh, because yeah. of pop culture, because of references, because chances are that they had someone in the family at some point that was affected by it. Huntington's mm -hmm. is fortunately uh, a rare condition because it means that fewer people yeah. are affected, but that doesn't yeah. help research. So we always have to bear in mind that we have to tell people that people with Huntington's exist and what Huntington's is, how that can affect. I saw that you are uh, you're doing some some work with um, police officers. I think that's incredibly important because I had patients telling me during my, some of the interviews that they were stopped by the police in the street because they thought they were drunk, mm -hmm. just because they saw the, mm -hmm. the manifestations of Huntington's and things like that. So they had to, to, to bring a card saying, I have Huntington's disease, it's a neurological mm -hmm. condition, etc., with them at all times, just to explain why they were behaving in such a way. So it is incredibly important, and I believe that definitely just keep up the good work and if you need any no, help you. from the research world, I'm, I'm more than help, more than happy to to collaborate. Yeah, 
Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you for being on the show. Um, just a couple announcements real quick before um, I pull off here. We uh, Our first um, education day is locked in, announced, and registration is open. We will be in Austin, Texas on March 2nd. This is a free event for all HD families. Um, we have research updates from Genentech Roche coming. We have um, some of the HD experts from across the nation flying in for that event. Uh, we are very excited to be hosting that. Our, that is our first of uh, a three-series hype day. Uh, we will also be in Puerto Rico in May for the second uh, education day. And then we will be in Wichita, Kansas in August. So those are the three days that we have announced. Um, and then end of the year symposium for Help for HD International will be in Las Vegas, Nevada this year in October. So watch our website, uh, www.help4hd.org, for those registrations to open up. All of our events are always free for the HD communities, and we will be opening up scholarships for rooms um, and help with travel for our community to be able to come and attend those events um, and get the uh, listen to the experts and interact together as a community. Um, actually, what Dr. Zarato uh, talked about a little bit is our law enforcement. We got funding again this year. Yes, we are very excited. We are going to uh, be on the move again. We actually are opening that up in March as well. We're uh, going to be attending the California uh, annual symposium where we will talk to law enforcement agents from all over California, the state of California, about Huntington's disease. And then we will be going on to Louisiana to uh, speak at a law enforcement annual conference there as well. So we are starting to move into 2019 and get all of our dates set up and all of our um, big projects going. So uh, always stay up to date with the website at www.healthforhd.org, and we will have portals opening there on the front slider. So um, until then, everyone have a safe week, and I will talk to you next week. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bring on the sights, bring on the savings, and bring on Europe with the Aer Lingus Bring on Europe sale. Bring on warm Irish hospitality. Bring on legendary sights, cosy pubs, food, history, and culture. Bring on incredible deals to over 20 European cities, including spirited Dublin, romantic Paris, lively London, and wondrous Rome. There's a whole continent that's yours to be explored. Smart says bring on Europe for less. Smart flies Aer Lingus. Book now at aerlingus.com.